Amen. Great singing this morning. Happy Lord's Day to you all. Let's open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21 as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord. And today we continue in our series entitled The Grand Finale. This is our third sermon in that series, and we are going all the way to the very end, beyond the reign of Christ, beyond the resurrection of the dead, beyond Armageddon, beyond the throne judgment of all peoples, to Revelation chapter 21, and starting at verse 9. Now, for the first two sermons in this, we saw, we saw John's vision of the new heavens and the new earth fully formed, utterly renewed. And we also saw the new Jerusalem, and he said that it was a holy city, that it was the new Jerusalem, that it was the bride of Christ, and he saw it in 66 AD, having already been created, having been built. And he saw it on the move, heading towards earth. And it's still on the move to this day. That's right. In today's text, though, we're going to be looking specifically at what the holy city, as it comes down to earth from heaven, what it looks like on the outside. Next week, we will walk through the gates and explore the interior of the city. But today, we're going to look at it from a distance from the outside, mostly focusing on verses 11 and 12. But let's go to the Lord and ask for help. Father, I pray that through this vision of our salvation to the uttermost, of our destiny, of the trajectory of your church and of your creation, I pray that your people would be blessed encouraged, comforted, given perspective. I pray that our afflictions would seem small by the end of this sermon. I pray that our hopes would be large. And I pray that you would do all of this through the preaching of your word and by the power of your much-needed Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name, and all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Revelation 21, starting at verse 9. And then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's the church. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And here's our focus for this morning. Having the glory of God, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the bride, the church, totally and utterly formed and glorified in heaven, invading earth, the church has the glory of God. Its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Amen? Amen. In Exodus chapter 40... Moses had just finished the construction of the tabernacle, a type and a shadow of this heavenly city, a meager tent when you compare it to the massive holy city. But he had just constructed the tabernacle following the specifications that God had given him precisely. He knew that God determines how he must be worshipped and that man cannot determine how to worship God. And Moses' faithful obedience and the people's obedience at that time prompted God to descend to them, to come to them in the glory cloud. You're familiar with the glory cloud. 
probably. It was how God manifested his glory in the, del- in the desert, in the wilderness to Israel. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see, he who is transcendent over all, by grace, descended upon his people to dwell with them, to live with them, to share his glory with them. And, and the most amazing thing about this dissension of the glory cloud to dwell among the people, the most amazing thing, I believe, is that the people are utterly undeserving. Amen? He descends by grace. He interacts with us by grace. He covenants with us by grace. He promises us by grace. We are undeserving. He did not look down on earth and see us as the deserving set of people and decide then to descend upon us. But he has given us his glory And he has dwelt among us and filled us with his presence utterly and sheerly by grace that no one would ever, ever boast. Amen? And what makes that even more amazing is that that glory cloud, as it descended upon Israel, was a glory cloud that caused Israel to faint in terror. They could not approach Mount Sinai utterly and completely terrified. And yet he descends to us. Adam and Eve ran from the presence of God. Amen. But here God is coming to us by grace. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, or 6, verse 1, we see the completion of the temple. This also is a, a small type and a shadow of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the church of the living God. 2 Chronicles 6, 1, it says, Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. He finished the completion of the temple. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated and stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels in the treasuries of the house of God. And then he gathered all the people in one massive assembly, in one massive gathering. And he brought the ark by procession from the tent that it had been dwelling in. The priests carried the ark into the Holy of Holies on long poles. The Bible says once it was in place, the poles still stuck out of the room. They were so long. This is how terrified they were to come near the presence of the Lord. And they marched the ark inside the Holy of Holies and set it in its place. And then when they emerged... All the people shouted for joy. Why? Because they understood the significance of the presence of God among his people. They understood that that was a type and a shadow of the fulfillment of the promise that I will be God to you and to your children after you. And I will be God with you and I will be God for you. They understood that God was with them. Who could be against them? Amen? And the trumpets blasted and the singers sang a song. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. Here's the song. As the priest emerged from the temple, for he is good, for his steadfast, that is his covenantal love, endures forever. He was fulfilling the promise that he had made to the patriarchs to dwell with his people. The house, the house of the Lord was filled, you see it right there, with a cloud. That is the glory cloud. That is the glory that I believe John sees in our vision. So that the priests, verse 14, so that the priests could not stand. They couldn't even stand up. They couldn't stand to minister, to offer the sacrifices, to offer the prayers, 
to sanctify the, the instruments and the people. They couldn't even stand up to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Amen. Now, just as an interesting note, There were some distinctions. That was the glory filling the tabernacle. Then the glory filling the temple. Just as it had filled the Garden of Eden before sin. But here in Revelation 21 at the very end of the Bible, we see the final fulfillment. The glory cloud fills the church. Perfectly in heaven. When you die, you will go to the new Jerusalem. The new heavens. And there the glory of God will fill the place. And you will be full. Amen. But today, even now, though in a meager way and oftentimes not as much as we would like or certainly not anywhere near what what we should one day be receiving, the glory of God fills his church. More so than he ever did the temple, more so than he ever did the tabernacle. He fills the church. And there are some distinctions between how he filled the temple and how he filled the church. And that is that there's no blood flowing. No more blood. Christ's church, no more blood. Amen. No more blood. For Christ has delivered the sacrifice once and for all. And there is no temple in the city. You'll notice in all the descriptions in Revelation 21, there's no temple there. He says there is no temple in the New Jerusalem. Do you know why? Because the New Jerusalem is the temple. It's shaped like a massive cube. That's right. The same distance from the height and the width and the length. Exactly the same proportions as the Holy of Holies. Because the city itself has become the Holy of Holies. The earth itself has, is becoming the Holy of Holies. The glory of the Lord is filling His church and filling the Jerusalem and expanding out to the, all the earth. That had already happened in John's day and it's still happening today. And the new Jerusalem, as we look at it at a distance, is massive. The tent was not that big. The tabernacle was big by standards of architecture. But the Holy of Holies is described, the holy city is described as 12,000 miles into space. And that is into space. Um, Scholars say that if this were literal, that if it sat on the earth, this holy city, it would cause the earth to go off of its axis. That's how massive it is. It reaches up 1,000 miles beyond the space station. Now you say, is that literal? Maybe. I'm fine with that. Seems amazing, right? I'm fine with that. But even if it's not literal, one thing we know is that it is massive. And you know what is good? Why it is good to have a massive city? Because you can fit a lot of people. Trillions of people. I mean, how big does a city need to be to fit a number of people that can only be counted like the stars of the sky and like the sands of the seashore? We need a lot of room. And when you die, you will go to this massive Temple, city that shines with the glory of God. No sacrifices, no temple because it has become a temple. And there everyone is a priest. The priest had special rights to access the temple and to perform certain sacrifices for the people and to teach the people. But today we no longer need priests for all have come to know the Lord from the least to the greatest. And we are all now priests in the holy city of God. Amen. Amen. I hope that you meditate on these things and come over time to understand more and more what these, what these things mean. But we move on because the city is not only the only thing that is shining. The glory of the Lord is shining. Amen. But his glory causes the city itself to shine. Shines like 
clear jasper. Now, jasper is not clear. Jasper is opaque, if anyone knows. But this is clear jasper, glorified jasper, heavenly jasper, whatever that means. Remember what we said, if it's literal, who wouldn't like that? A city that shines with all the colors of the rainbow. I can't imagine anything more beautiful, honestly. So that's fine. But even if it's just a type, the reality is always greater than the type. Amen? And you have to understand that it's not just the glory cloud that's radiating. The city itself is a celestial city. The city itself shines. And what that means is that we shine. We are the city. We are the bride. Do you get that? Now, we shine today. Let your, your light, what? Shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As the church shines forth its good works, radiating the glory of God, others come into the church. Do you see that? But here John sees the church, the heavenly church, fully and utterly shining. And when you die, you will be glorified. In some way, you will enter this heavenly place where there will be no more sin and no more weeping and no more sorrow, and you will shine to the fullest. And at the end of human history, at the resurrection, when heaven and earth collide, you will shine in all the ways that God ever intended for you to shine. You say, well, what does it mean to shine? It means to share in the glory of God. And what does that mean? Eye has never seen, nor ear has heard what is prepared for the saints. But when Paul saw it, he was torn. He said, I got a lot of work to do, but I'd rather go and be there. That's all you need to know. He said that the afflictions of this world aren't even worthy to be mentioned in the same sentence. Aren't worthy to be compared with the glories of the heavenly Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 12, 12 verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine. Christ Church, you do not need to shine on this side of history. Shine your good works. Shine the glory of God. You don't need to shine. Shining is your destiny. You understand? You can wait for that. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever and ever. Your eternal destiny is to share in the glory of God in such a way that we can't even imagine it. Paul says, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man. Which means, you can't even imagine it if you tried. All we have is a pictorial vision to go off of. Amen? And it's not just you and I that will shine. It's not just the bride of Christ, which I hope you are a part of. Right? The whole creation will shine. The whole creation will reflect like the moon reflects the glory of the sun. The whole creation will reflect the glory of God. Ezekiel chapter 43 verse 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. A new heavens shining, a new earth shining, a new church shining with the glory of God. Now, that's the setting. That's what we see. It's shining. But now the Bible tells us that the light which comes from the heavenly city, from the church, totally the church in heaven, but partially the church on earth, the light which comes from the church is a light which guides the nations. 
and that is the nations of our earth, the United States, England, Argentina, Japan. The church is destined and is called to be the light of this world whereby the nations are guided in all of life. Revelation chapter 21 verse 24, by its light will the nations walk. It is predestined. It is prophesied. It has already been happening and it will continue to happen more and more and more as Jesus Christ's gospel expands all over the world. But the nations are to be guided by the light of the church as the church radiates the very glory of God through preaching, through teaching, through discipleship, through education, through prayer, through worship, through psalms, the light which emanates from the church is God's glorious light, and it is the light whereby the nations can make sense of anything. You see, the only way we know how to live is because God has shined his light into our heart. And the only way the nations will ever come to know how to walk with King Jesus in wisdom and justice and righteousness. You want the world to be a better place? Shine the light. Shine the light of the word of God and the glory of God so that the nations might see it and have a model and obey. You know, Alfred the Great, when he established his kingdom and he wrote the law book, next to every single law, he put Bible verses because he was walking by the light of the church. You know, the mayor of New York this last week gave an amazing sermon, speech, where he renounced any idea of the separation of church and state. Now, of course, we understand that the state and the church are two different spheres. The church does not have the sword, amen? And the state does not have the word. And neither of them have the rod. The state and the church and the family have different responsibilities and are different jurisdictions, but all three work together under God. One nation under God, which means if we are faithful, one nature, nation under God's law. So yes, some separation of church and state jurisdictionally, but the state must obey Jesus. Rulers of this earth, be warned, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. Psalm 2, the nations must obey King Jesus. The nations are called to walk by his glorious light, to walk by his law and to receive his gospel. Amen. And the mayor said, he said, though you've heard it, said that there should be separation of church and state, he renounced it. He said the state is the head and the church is the heart. Would we separate the head from the heart? He said, I'm told that I have to, to operate as a politician aside from my faith, but my faith is all that I have. Everything that I do is informed and guided by my faith. Is he genuine? I don't know. I don't know. I've only heard one speech from him. But it seems as though he is appearing to, to walk by the light of the celestial city, the glory of God. That is the stuff of real revivals. That is where real revivals and reformation break out. When the fathers and the mothers and the pastors and elders and the civil ministers, whether they be sheriffs or presidents or kings, walk by the light of the celestial city, walk by the glory of God as it is shined on earth by his church, then they will be guided, then they will be shown justice, then they will be shown how to live. 
That's what we must be doing as a church, praying for that and working for that. But it's promised here. The nations will walk by the light of the church. This is not after history. This is in history while there are nations. Not after history when we all, I believe, speak one language. But now in history with different cultures and different languages and different nations looking to the celestial city for guidance. (laughs) But there's even more. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 3 And this is good news for us. Nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your dawn. Now this may have been hard for John to believe in his day. Amen. I believe the book of Revelation was written in 66 AD. There's some debate about that. But roughly the first century. And in the first century there were not many nations having turned to Jesus. But here is the prophecy that nations will, they will come to your light. But we should be able to believe that. We come from many different nations. We're not Jews here. We live on the other side of the world. And we have been attracted to the church, to the bride of Christ, to Christ himself, by that attractional light. Have we not? Amen. There's a reason why the walls of the city have gates on all four sides. One in the north, two in the north, two in the east, two in the west, and two in the south. Because it doesn't matter where you come from on the globe. Whether you come from the north, Finland, Scandinavia, or from the south, Argentina, or uh, Uganda, or whether you come from the west, Texas. Or whether you come, <laughs> whether you come from uh, the east, Japan. You're being attracted into the city of God, and there's a gate for you to enter. Like moths drawn to the flame, the city shines. You say, but that's after human history. No, it's now. That's the ideal. That's what we should be aspiring to. That's why this vision is given to us, that it might stir us up to shine. The nations are drawn like moths to a flame. But now, there is a problem. If the city radiates with an attractional light, a good works light, a gospel light that would show the nations how to live and and show families how to live and, and show businesses how to operate, and we are attracted into that city, there's a problem because the city has massive walls. Look at verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the Son of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. Pardon me, three gates on each side. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So do you see the paradox here? Shining light which attracts the nations. A shining light whereby the nations will learn how to live and know how to walk. Yet walled off completely with massive great high walls. If I remember correctly in my studies, it's a 72 foot foot high wall. Which seems interesting with a 12,000 mile city, but you figure that one out later. But this massive wall for ancient times was impenetrable. Impenetrable. And this, I do believe, draws out the fact that the church is distinct from the world. Amen? There is a distinction. There must be a distinction 
if we are to attract the nations. What theologians call this distinction between the church and the world is the antithesis. And the antithesis must be held. You see, in Nehemiah's days, the walls of Jerusalem were torn down. You know the story. And enemies were able to come and go as they pleased. But Nehemiah was given a life mission to rebuild the walls, to establish the distinction, to establish the antithesis. And this is one of the church's main problems. How can we shine when our churches are filled with the enemies of God? And I don't so much mean people, although people are sometimes minions of Satan. I mean the isms of this world and the ideologies of this world and the worldviews of pagans. With our wall being torn down, ideas from the world come right into the church and infiltrate and diminish our light. We must, by preaching and teaching and prayer and worship and psalms, etc., rebuild these walls so that there is a clear distinction. Your family should not be like the families of the pagans. Your education should not be like the education of the pagans. What you go to for psychological, emotional help should not be what the pagans do. You have another light. You have the word of God. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. There must be absolute distinction between the church and the world. And it is the responsibility of moms and dads to make sure there is that distinction. To make sure those walls are fortified and defended. Don't let them come through the TV. Don't let them come through your education of your children, through the worldview of discipleship that you gain, through the books that you read. You build those walls so that you are all of Christ in all of life. And it is the responsibility of pastors and elders to maintain that distinction through proper teaching and preaching and church discipline. That's right. And one day, perhaps, it is the responsibility of civil ministers as well to hold fast those walls. Now, that's a debatable thing, but at least that's where I stand on it. I do believe these walls have to be fortified, strengthened, and we must maintain the antithesis. So, 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You've got to keep that wall up. Right? You don't date non-believers. We know this. We know this. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness. Amen? Amen. But there's more than just a distinction. The walls are military, military walls. Because the city of God is at war. One day, at the end, we will no longer be at war, but we are at war. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against demons and demonic forces. And the ideas and the isms and the arguments that raise themselves up against the name of Christ, we must fight. But don't be afraid because God has promised us victory and he's promised us victory over our enemies. And we have nothing to fear for we have inherited a kingdom which cannot be what? It cannot be shaken. So, do you see the thing? Do you see the tension there? If you're a discerning listener, I think you might could see it. How can we shine an attractional light which, which brings in the nations and yet have a wall up that we maintain and build and also fight? How can we build and fight and be hospitable? How can that be? How can God destroy sinners in hell and be gracious and loving and merciful? Well, it's the answer is the same for both questions. 
I can show you right here. It's in Revelation chapter 21, verse 25. And its gates will never be shut by day. You see that? It's a city that shines an attractional light, but it is heavily fortified and militarily um, cannot lose. But it has gates, and the gates are what? Wide open. You have to pass through the gate, but it's wide open. A welcome banner right next to the names of the apostles, right? The gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, so they're always open. Now you say, now we have another problem. How can we maintain the distinction and fortify the walls if the gates are always open? But what, what city at war wouldn't shut the gates? Oh, but there's an answer to that as well. Look at, at verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. Now the gates are always open, but we have some pretty significant bouncers, right? <laughs> and, and this encourages me that when pastors and elders and moms and dads and civil ministers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, don't maintain the distinction between the church and the church is infiltrated with demonic forces and demonic ideas and the minions of Satan that we don't have to fret because angels will eventually come around to keeping that distinction. That's right. But I'd like to work with the angels and not against them, right? And I do believe the angels are held back because of our lack of prayer. So you say, okay, Pastor Brandon, this sermon is really great for people inside the city. you got strong walls, a kingdom which cannot be shaken, right? And you're hospitable too. But you got angel bouncers. Man, and you shine with the radiance of clear jasper, the glory of God. This is great for, for you church people inside the city. But how do I get me and my family inside the city? You go through the gate. Yeah, but there's an angel there. How do I make it past the angel? Y'all know the answer, don't you? You need the blood. That's right. You see, if you have the blood on the doorpost, you and your family will be saved as the death angel comes by. If you, like Rahab, take the scarlet cord out of the front window, out of the shop window, and put it on the back window facing Israel, repenting of your sins and trusting in the promises that God has made to Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you take that scarlet cord and you put it on that window, you and your family will be entered in. The angels will step aside and welcome you into restored paradise. That's the way in. I'll put it another way for you. I lost the verse here in my notes, but you can see there in the text, if you look carefully, that the gates are made out of one giant, does anyone know? Pearl. I always struggle with this as a kid. I mean, what a massive oyster, right? (laughs) I don't know how that works, but you know what it reminds me of. You see, there was once a man who he found out a little secret that no one else knew, that there was a field nearby, right? that it contained a massive treasure nobody else knew. You know what he did? He sold everything that he else could, everything that he had, so he could buy that one field to obtain that one treasure. But there was another man who heard about this great pearl of great price. He too gave everything that he could, gave everything away to obtain that one great pearl. You want to enter in that pearly gate? 
You must relativize everything else in your life. You must subject everything else to your life. And you must fully and utterly trust Jesus alone as Lord and Savior. That's the price. Put your knees down. Put your weapons down. Ask him for forgiveness. And he'll let you in just like that. Just like that. If you don't make it past the angel, if you don't enter the city of God, which is the church, and anyone here who doesn't have a church, you're not a part of the church. If you're not a part of the church, you have no reason to believe that you are part of the church. Become part of the church. The bride of Christ. You say, well, I don't like the church. The church has done me wrong. That is the bride of Christ. He loves her. Don't speak against her that way. Join her and work for her betterment. Amen. You say, Pastor Brandon, I want to, I want to. But you don't understand how bad my sins have been. I promise you, there are people in this room whose sins are worse than yours. I promise you, there is not a single one of us that couldn't sin and wouldn't sin in precisely the same way if we weren't in the same situation. Amen? Jesus' blood can cover all. You repent and you turn to him. And you will be admitted into the city. Outside of the city, there is only weeping and gnashing of teeth. But inside, there is radiating with the glory of God. Let's all stand. If the musicians would come forward, we'll respond to this truth with a song. But let's first pray. Father, thank you for this glorious vision. May it inspire us to to reach these ideals here in this life now. May we shine. May we maintain the distinctions. May we fight demonic evil forces by word and prayer. May we tear down strongholds by your truth. And may we be hospitable through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. Amen.